Greetings and welcome to Hail to the King, a podcast where we read and discuss the many works of Stephen King. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brady, a constant contributor to Epic Film Guys podcast and co-host on the Vintage Horror podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about Stephen King's second book, Salem's Lot. And with that, we're also going to start off this discussion with our first introduction to vampires. So for me, the first vampire experience I can remember was, I don't know if it was a Disney Channel movie, but I think it came out the same time as like Harry Potter, the little vampire with the kid from Stuart Little. Do you guys remember seeing that? Mm-hmm, yes. And his like parents moved him to like this mansion in England, I think. And his like best friend that he started having was actually a, a vampire kid from a family of vampires. Really good. Um, I mean, I haven't seen it in like 20 years, but it's, it was, it's hold up. It's great. It, I think it, it was a classic then. It's a classic now. So yeah, that was my first experience with vampires. And now I'll throw it over to Paige. Hey guys, it's Paige. Um, I think my first experience with vampires was like glow-in-the-dark teeth that you would get in a party bag um, at a children's birthday party. Mm. (laughs) That and like walking into Party City during Halloween and seeing the costumes. That's that's pretty much it. I didn't have a real good (laughs) first vampire experience. (laughs) I used to love those teeth because I didn't have my front teeth for the longest time. And uh, that really, really made everything better. Anyways. Just wore them around. Yeah, it could there's be Brady June. again. Yep, there's that, there's that weird kid. Well, Mark. I am... <laughs> I am your third uh, co-host here and perpetual third wheel. And my, I had to think really hard about where my, my first introduction to vampires is because I feel like it is so ingrained in our culture now that, like, can you really pinpoint when you first heard about vampires like so I looked through the old the old scrapbook and I found a photo that uh, my mom took of me in 1996 dressed up as a little vampire for my second Halloween Um, and apparently it's because the first teeth I ever got were my upper canines so she thought it was oh I'm gonna ask a, a weird question here do you think that you look anything like you did when you were two because you posted um, a picture, and I was like, that does not look like Kenneth. And I know yeah. some people, like, look like them themselves when they're babies, and you grow out of it, but... I think I I do. I think part of it is that she, like, when my hair looked normal, in that photo, she did, like, a big yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, I am all washed out because of the, like, disposable camera flash. <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, I get it. That's, like, vampire Kenneth is very different than than regular Kenneth, but Right, I'm the undead. Well, sure, sure. Uh, well, awesome. And we also have a guest on with us today, uh, another co-host and I guess you could say founder of the Vintage Horror Podcast, my friend Kyle. What's up, man? You're damn right. I was the founder of the Vintage Horror Podcast, okay? Um, some people know me as Kyle Bunnies, uh, Little John, boy of the house but today i am the first and best guest on hail to the king oh and i guess i gotta talk about (laughs) vampires uh you know uh there's an anime movie called blood the last vampire and that's like one of the first things i remember ever seeing and uh consuming that had vampires um they were very different than what we see in a lot of typical mainstream stuff but uh yeah either that or like Mm. underworld that was a good one. 
I know. Oh, um, still is. I know. Another thing with vampires. So Twilight came out. What was that? Two thousand eight. Was that the year it came out? <laughs> I don't anyways, know. But something around there. Yeah. Anyways, my parents were going. Th- through the beginnings of their like really really bad divorce so i had to stay with my cousins for like months at a time and my little cousin i mean not little cousin he was a year older than me he was the baby of their family there were seven of them he was the baby but he was older than me so any anyways doesn't really matter he had this little video camera that he got for christmas one year and so we would make the dumbest home videos. We'd made like our own version of cops and it was us just chasing each other through their basement. Um, but one night his sister, Laura came down, I'll have to edit her name out. And she was <laughs> like, Hey, I have this really great idea. Why don't we recreate twilight? And John and I were like, well, we've never really seen twilight. And she's like, you don't have to see twilight. You can just watch this one scene and then we'll reenact that. And I think it'd be really cool. So it's the scene in the woods where it's like Bella and Edward and she sees him sparkle for the first time. So my cousin John is very gangly and very pale. So he (laughs) got to be Edward. And Laura was like, well, I'm going to be behind the camera. So Brady, that means you have to be Bella. So there is a video floating around on some device that I'm pretty sure he still has of me wearing one of my cousin's wigs, my shirt stuffed with pillows, and me looking at my cousin pretending that he's the vampire I'm in love with. So I will pay oh serious money. That was prob- that's probably another earliest memory of vampires for me. The one that stuck with me the most, you know. You played Kristen Stewart? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I've never seen Twilight. So oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I guess there. Okay, cool. I played uh, Kristen I, I can Stewart. see the resemblance. Yeah, it's there. It's the smolder, I think. But yeah, so that was that was me and vampires. Um like we said, this episode is Following up with Stephen King's second debut novel, Salem's Lot. And I believe Kenneth has a summary that she's going to walk us through before we really get into this. I prepared a small, brief summary of Salem's Lot. It's nothing too in-depth. It's really just for maybe our, a refresher for us or a refresher for any of our listeners who maybe read Salem's Lot a while ago and need to get it in their brains again. Um, and then any of our listeners who maybe for some reason haven't, haven't read it and just need the gist, need the main points. So Salem's Lot is set in the fictional main town of Jerusalem's Lot and primarily follows Ben Mears as he's partnered up with some locals to fight a vampire infiltration in town. Ben is a struggling writer who comes to Salem's Lot to write a book about an infamous house in town where he had a traumatic experience as a child 25 years prior to when the book takes place. It's called The Marston House, and it's named after the Marston couple who lived in the house until dying of murder-suicide at the hands of the husband, Hubert Marston. Hmm. However, Ben isn't the only newcomer to Salem's Lot. At the same time that he's arriving, so are vampire Kurt Barlow and human henchman Richard Straker. And they are fronting as European antique stealers, and they have moved into the abandoned Marston house. Ben begins a relationship with local artist Susan Norton, much to her mother's dismay, and befriends the town's high school English teacher, Matt Burke. Um, a few weeks after Ben's arrival, the town is rocked by a tragedy when a local boy, Ralphie Glick, I'm hoping I'm saying that right, uh, goes missing and his brother Danny dies 
suddenly right afterwards. It's revealed later that Danny has been turned into a vampire by Barlow. As the story progresses, more and more townspeople are falling ill and dying or just simply going missing. In reality, they're being attacked and turned by Barlow, Danny, and others. So Matt and, and Ben realize that something's, you know, sketchy, something's happening, and they form a team consisting of themselves, Mark Petrie, a local boy and horror monster expert, Susan Norton, the love interest, Jimmy Cody, the town's doctor, and Father Callahan, the town's priest. During a visit to the Marston house in an attempt to confront Barlow, Susan is turned into a vampire and Mark has to kill his familiar Straker. In retaliation, Barlow then kills Mark's parents, at the same time turning Father Callahan into a self-aware henchman who later flees. Jimmy dies by vampire booby trap, and Matt unceremoniously dies by heart attack in a nearby hospital where he has spent a good chunk of the book, leaving just Ben and Mark to defeat Barlow. Which, of course, they do via stake to the heart, as you do, um, before fleeing to Mexico and leaving the remainder of the vampires to take over the town. So the book ends in an epilogue in which Ben and Mark return to the town and use the dry heat of the summer to burn the town to the ground. Yeah, awesome summary. Um, you know, I, I, I want to say that, as far as I know, I could be wrong, this is the only book about vampires or centered around vampires that King ever wrote. And I know at that time, it seemed in the 70s, you know, they had boomed with the Hammer films. Um, but really, 70s going into the 80s was more werewolves than vampires. So I think Stephen King probably went out on a limb with this one. But, you know, with that background, so like I said, this book came out in October 17th, 1975. So quite a while ago. Stephen King says that the thought about Salem's Lot, the story originally came after he was teaching a high school class where the students had to read Bram Stoker's Dracula, which is a great book if you guys haven't read it. Um, anybody out there, you know, it's pretty short. It's definitely one of those older books, 19th century, that drags on a little bit with the language, but it's really, really good. Uh, but King began to toy with the idea of what would happen if a powerful vampire like Count Dracula would infiltrate not a city like London, but a small, sleepy town. So in a quote, Stephen King says, One night over supper, I wondered aloud what would happen if Dracula came back in the 20th century to America. He'd probably be run over by a yellow cab on Park Avenue and killed, my wife said. That closed the discussion. But in the following days, my mind kept returning to the idea. It occurred to me that my wife was probably right. If the legendary Count came to New York, that is. But if he were to show up in a sleepy little country town, what then? I decided I wanted to find out. So I wrote Salem's Lot, which was originally titled Second Coming. So, you know, much like Carrie, thank you, Tabby. Am I right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely saved his ass again. <laughs> Coming um, in clutch. Coming in clutch, Tabby. And then in 1980, Stephen King also penned another essay in that February, where he discussed that when he was a boy, he had a dream in which he saw a corpse hanging from a tree, and that when the wind blew the corpse around, the face was actually like Stephen King's own face, but just horribly pecked by all these birds. And it haunted him so much so that he kept that as one of the main plot points in this book all those years later. Uh, I think they said the only thing was that in the dream he had, the person's name was Robert Burns, and so he changed that to Hubie Marston. 
which I think has a better spooky ring to it anyways. And then in the 80s, Stephen King gave two separate interviews where he called Salem's Lot his favorite of all his books. And he said, in a way, it's my favorite story, mostly because what of it, what it says about small towns. They are kind of a dying organism right now. The story seems sort of down home to me. I have a special cold spot in my heart for it. Yeah, so that's a bit of the background for the book. Do you guys have anything that you came across or want to talk about, flush out a little bit? Yeah, so he Stephen King does an introduction um, to at least the first two audiobooks that I've listened to, um, which is kind of cool. And one of the things that he mentions there is that he really wanted this to be kind of a tragic story. Um, Kenneth mentioned like, oh yeah, the, the good guys kind of win. Like they put a stake through the lead vampire's heart. Okay. And he didn't want it to go that way. He originally set out to have it end terribly, but he said, as he was writing these characters, as he was writing Ben, Ben just took over and was like, no, I, I need to be a hero. So he just went with yep. whatever he felt the character needed to do. Good for him. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I'd say it worked out. I mean, I think that the second novel has, you know, in my experience with writing novels, <laughs> the second novel has got to be the hardest. You know, he found the success with Carrie that he didn't necessarily think he was going to get. And I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit in the last episode, even in interviews as recently as a couple of years ago, he's quoted as saying that it's one of his least favorite of his stories. And he still doesn't fully understand what people like about Carrie and that story. Um, you know, it's good to leave up to the reader's interpretation of the book and all that. But I think especially with how much longer this one was than Carrie, it had to have been daunting for him. And so I can only imagine the amount of rewrites that he went through. I know there was one rewrite where he wanted uh, when he was a kid to go into the house that his, one of his childhood friends actually went in with him and then gets eaten by all the rats in the basement. But his editor was like, no, I think you're going to leave that out. And I think we're going to have somebody get impaled by knives at the end. So I, I can, like I said, I can only imagine the amount of rewrites that had to go through with this, but I'm happy it did because I got to say, I think that this is honestly one of my favorite Stephen King books. And uh, we'll get more into that as we go on. But I, I had a question for you guys real quick. Um, you know, we're going to get into characters here in a second. And I think that the town and the Marston house are big characters in themselves. So do you guys think that evil can live and dwell in structures, towns, places, or is it just that evil people inhabit those? What do you guys think? We can start with Kyle. Kyle looks ready to talk. I think evil dies tonight, and that's all you really need to know. <laughs> all right, well, uh, now that we had to trash this episode because he brought that up, uh, <laughs> is that really all you had to say about evil? Uh, I don't think it inhabits anything. Okay. Uh, People can be evil, yeah, I guess, but I don't. I don't think uh, at the core, a lot of people are evil all the time. So, I don't think energy inhabits a house, though. No. Okay. Paige. I mean, to the contrary, 
I think that there is energy that people put out into the world and sometimes it lingers, um, you know, whether that be people feeling ghosts or just an uncomfortableness in the air. Like it, it definitely happens in real life where you just feel bizarre in a space. Um, but it that was kind of the question on my mind the entire time I was reading the book was that like, was this house sending out a beacon into the universe to say like, vampires, hey, like come hang out here. Or like, did they <laughs> go looking through like all kinds of news articles to see like, all right, what's the creepiest house that I can find in America? Like, how did they come to be one with this Marston house? That still is very perplexing to me. Mm-hmm. Good points. Kenneth, what do you think? Yeah, I feel like this touches into a conversation I was having a while ago about how, like, how I think if you were going to look at, like, ghosts as, as like, a, on, with a scientific lens, um, I'm no astrophysicist or anything, but... You're not? From what I... <laughs> <laughs> From what I understand, um, like energy is a huge part of like everything. Everything is like the push and the pull and the energy. Everything's energy. And I could imagine that someone's, the energy someone is pushing out in life lingering after they've, they've died. And so I feel like I agree with Paige where you can, you manifest all this energy, you push out all of this energy and it's going to linger there kind of like a giant energy cloud, which on that note, I guess I would think that the Marston house is a little bit of like a beacon where it's two energies being pulled together kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I also think that maybe it's hard. You know, I, I don't know that I necessarily think that people built this Marston house and it was evil from the get-go. Not something like you think of poltergeist when housing developments built on Native American burial grounds, right? But I do think that like in the book, people's energy or essence can live on in legend, I guess. So because Hubie Marston had the scandal around him that he killed his wife and then killed himself, and then before that was what a uh, alleged hitman in the mob who ended up killing kids in Salem's lot as demon sacrifices, right? All this stuff, even before you find out as the reader, if these are true or not, it all goes into this rumor mill of the town that builds up this image of evil in this house. And then in a way it becomes like self-fulfilling prophecy where, all right, if we believe this thing is evil enough, then of course evil things are going to happen. And if they do, we'll just blame it on the house. And then I think the town is also evil. And I do think that towns can be evil, but it is because of the, communities in those towns so i have a lot against little small towns i'm not going to say any by name but i do think it's because and maybe i was affected by this book but i think that when you get into some of these really close-knit communities that are willing to hide things or sweep things under the rug like this town was not just a quaint little town salem's lot i mean before the vampires got there they had spousal abuse child abuse cheaters they had people stealing things you know bad land deals whatever so i think that those things are just allowed to go on under the guise of oh status quo keep things normal and then becomes inherently evil in its own because then generation after generation stays there and does the same thing that the one before them did so i think 
King really captures that essence in this. You want to say something? Yeah, Paige? I like whoa. Um, that was a lot. I I don't agree <laughs> with you at all. I feel really bad for this town and for these people because mm -hmm. even if they were not great people, even if they did bad things, it doesn't make them inherently evil. And sometimes people are just you know, a product of their circumstances in their environment. So yeah, it keeps breeding one after the other generationally, but it's because they were forced into this life, not necessarily because they chose it. So I still feel a lot of empathy towards all of the people who live in this place and for the place itself, because it did hold so many memories that weren't bad that now it's gone forever. Like, it's sad. Yeah. Or is it? <laughs> I wanted to say, I think they specifically say in the book at one point, um, I think after Mark and Susan visit the house, and then I, I believe Ben comes to the house later, he says he doesn't feel the same energy that he felt prior. So I don't think that, that house is evil or that there's evil. I think it was Barlow himself. Being the evil presence um, there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's got to be something to do with the house, though, because how did he end up mm -hmm. there? You know. And then, it, well, I mean, I don't. Maybe not the house specifically, but I mean, I think Hubie showed. Yeah, to Hubie him told, told him about, about the town in in the letters, and was like, "Hey, I have this really great town that's perfect for you to come to," and then you have to be invited in, blah blah blah. So they had to go through the land deal with Crockett, but I think that was what made it. I don't think it was coincidence that Barlow went to Salem's Lot. I think Salem's Lot, like I said, was just a bad place to be because the community wasn't going to be able to coalesce around this force picking them off because they were all fractured. They were dealing with their own things. And while I do feel empathy for some of them, namely that, that poor baby, oh I God. didn't feel anything else towards any of the other characters. I was not that they deserve to die or anything, but I didn't feel attached to them. I was like, well, you know, you're kind of a bad dude and then bad things happen. Like, I don't know. So I think that Hubie told them about the town and then they were able to say, okay, this is going to be perfect because they're not going to be able to get, get their shit together mm. and fight us. And then we'll just take them over. Right. So that's just my take on it. You know, little, little Brady's corner. <laughs> Anybody else want to say anything about the house or the town? Well, I was thinking just now, like, maybe, I mean, I'm just throwing, throwing stuff out there. Since mm -hmm. the whole concept of, like, good and evil, it maybe when Ben goes back and it feels different and less evil, maybe it's related to what Mark did there. Like, a little bit of, like, a good triumphs over evil, and so it got mm. rid of a little bit of that. Mm. I like that. That, yeah. could, that could be something. It's kind of like uh, the Force in Star Wars. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Add in some lightsabers. Mm -hmm. well, I don't know if I ever want to see Stephen King write anything with lightsabers. Just give them to the vampires. No. Make things oh a little God. more oh They're invincible now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if we don't have anything else to talk about with the house or the town being evil, let's go ahead and jump into characters. So what we're going to do now is one of us will go first and talk about our favorite character why they're, they are our favorite character, and then everybody else can comment what, what they liked, what they didn't like. We'll go round robin. So after all four of us have given our favorite character, we can talk about the other characters. So Kyle, you are the guest of honor tonight. 
So who's your favorite character? I would have to say Mark Petrie. And the reason is, I mean, what nerdy <laughs> fuck like me can't relate to a nerdy little fuck that's into horror like him? You know what I'm saying? And, you know, he's cold as ice, man. And I respect that. He's got ice in his veins for he's sure. He's going to put a bat or a pole to people's heads, and I like He's my it. favorite, too. Yeah. I love Little yeah. Monkey Mark. Oh, my gosh. He was that mine, too. Everything. Well, oh, no. Brady, I hope you have a different favorite character. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> well, I, I guess now you guys can all talk about why you like Mark. Oh, gosh. He's the best. I'll choose someone else He's if you want. No, no, no. Yeah, it's fine. I was so proud of him. Okay. Like, I don't know him, but I am so proud of him. Like, I want to be that kid's mom. <laughs> well, not really. Whoa. He Whoa. did. But <laughs> she did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, I just loved his development and the fact that he was just thrown into this dangerous situation as a child and he was able to overcome all of these terrible things and then not even like yeah he's definitely like a cool customer as matt says in the book but he also like you know he's afraid but you also know that he's gonna do what's right and his fear is almost like deeper than a lot of the adults because he's a kid like he hasn't he doesn't even go anywhere without his parents you know he's like holding hands across the street and he's having to attack vampires. And I just think he's a cool character. Yeah. I mean, much like Kyle, I mean, I don't know, Kyle, did you read the book before you saw the miniseries or other way around? Um, well, the first time I ever watched this was last night and uh, <laughs> I read this before that. So, Oh, so that's a no. Yep. All right. So I watched the, the miniseries before I ever read the book. And so they show Mark's room with all these universal monster posters and figurines. And so that was my first experience with Mark. And then I think that they matched him up very well according to what Stephen King had written. And I know that sometimes Stephen King gets flack for how he writes children. Um, I know a lot of times people praise him for it, but in Carrie, I didn't like how he wrote the teenagers. And I think that he does a really great job with how he writes Mark and the fear that Kenneth was talking about how there's just this dread especially just in the final act after his parents where he has to keep pushing through but every time it's on him you just you feel it and you feel bad for him and especially when there's that scene where Jimmy and Ben go up to the house um, the Petrie's house and Mark mm -hmm. asks Ben to cover his parents it's gut-wrenching because he's just like yeah, yeah just I can't go in but please cover them and you're like man, this poor little kid has been through a lot. And you sympathize with these adults because, you know, Ben loses Susan eventually and everybody else knows somebody who's dying. And then you're like, oh, no, this kid's parents mm -hmm. got killed right in front of him. And then he had to run from the house. So I really do like Mark. Not my favorite character, but uh, really, really good. <laughs> well, since nobody else has to list their favorite character, um, my favorite character is Matt Burke. Mr. Burke, I, I don't know if you guys did it, but I every time I read him in here, I called him Mr. Burke. And like I he was my read, own teacher. So. <laughs> or, that's right, you listen. Um, I just read what's put in front of me, so right. unless it said Mr. Burke. I kept seeing like Mr. Burke, where it was, it was Matt. And I know sometimes they call him Mr. Burke. Mm -hmm. um, but he's the first of many to come of the older sage characters that King uses to fill up a lot of exposition. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I think here 
it works mm -hmm. really, really well. And what draws me to Matt at the end of the day is that he's just a good guy. Like he's genuinely good and he cares about people in the town. So in the book, they're talking about Mabel Wirtz and her gossip line and how Mabel was basically the town because she knew everything. And then on the contrary to that, Matt cares about everybody in the town. So in the book, he's the only one who really checks in on Mike Ryerson when he's sick. And he goes over and he's like, all right, what kind of dope you on? What drugs you on? And then when he finds out it's not drugs, he's just sick. He's like, well, come stay at my place and I'll keep an eye on you. And then, I mean, he constantly thinks about all the kids who had potential in his classes through the years and the ends they met, which is depressing, but also, again, shows how much of a big heart he had. Even in his final words, he says, watch out for that last step. It's a killer which I think is directly foreshadowing Jimmy Cody's death, but it shows that Matt never stops fighting for the town and never stops caring for the people in that town. And also he's an English teacher, which is what I'm in school for. I'm so say it makes sense. Like, kind of drawn teacher. to that. I'm, I'm curious um, just cause like I mentioned earlier, his death is very different from everybody else's. And I'm wondering if you think that there is some sort of connection between his kind of pureness and the fact that he doesn't end up dying by vampire. I was going to say that because in Carrie, Tommy Ross is seen as the only really pure, genuine character. And even though he dies, the way he dies is supposed to be the more... Humane? Heart humane, yeah. Instead of mm -hmm. getting burned, he just goes out in a daze. So yeah. I think maybe it's the same thing here for Matt Burke, like showing, yeah, you're still dying, and that sucks. And you're probably mm -hmm. dying thinking that you lost, but at least you're not, you know, turning into the undead like everybody else. Right. And yeah, like you said, Kyle, I think his character, because he is a teacher, everything about him that I love, and that I'm sure other readers love too, stems from like this teacher. I, I mean, I know I went to a one room schoolhouse, but the one teacher I had in my final years of high school there was a younger guy who had just recently graduated and he was really instrumental in helping me figure out what I wanted to do and how I wanted to think and how to, how to see things. So in a very controlling, restrictive culture that I was going to school in, he was one of the people that was less so. Um, and so I think that having a good teacher in one's life is incredibly, incredibly helpful. So what about Ben? How do you guys feel about Ben Mears? The, the main character. Anybody want to go first? Paige? Kenneth? I did not start off liking him. Near the end, um, and I think maybe my like for him stemmed from how he interacted with Mark and at the end kind of becoming like a pseudo father figure, older brother kind of figure. I think I started liking him a lot more, but at the beginning, whoo, I did not like him. Oh. Um, well, because I did the math and I know it's like, what, the 60s in this book or something? I think it was the 70s, right? wasn't it? Yeah. It was late 60s, early 70s, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, it was a different time, but I did the math. And apparently when he confronts Susan in the park when they first meet and she's reading the book, he thought she was 17 and he asked her on a date. And that gave me the creeps. And then he goes on to mansplain snow globes to her. And I just, I don't but I ended up liking him, but it wasn't a good start. Yeah, <laughs> He's a charming little dude. I like him a lot. 
I just like I imagine him in his little sweater vest with his little typewriter, like staring longingly out the window at this creepy house. Like I just I have a nice picture of him in my brain for some reason. Oh, um, I didn't think he stared longingly well, at the house. It wasn't <laughs> longingly. He was scared of the house. Whatever, you know what I mean. There was a lot of staring with intense emotion. Um, but I don't know. I thought it was cute the way that he interacted with um, Sue's parents when he went over there. Like, I really liked mm -hmm. that he was just genuinely himself the whole time. Um, it didn't seem like he was putting on a front to interact with anyone. And then, you know, woohoo, he's, mm -hmm. he's the hero. You know, he did the hard work. He stayed consistent. He murdered his girlfriend's undead body like that oh shit's rough God. so i'm i like him okay yeah kyle what do you think about uh ben i think the word genuine that Paige used is the right word for ben um he seemed like a really nice guy to anybody like even weasel you know um the town drunk who a lot of people didn't give time to and it's weird that well not weird but it makes sense that him and Matt got along so well since Matt was also that kind person. Um, I like Ben all the way through. Uh, makes a lot of sense as to why he's kind of the hero, him and uh, Mark. Um, I mean, he's kind of like a nerd cock writer and, you know, Stephen King's an author and he's like, hell yeah, I'm the hero today. You know? <laughs> so him and, you know, the little kid in the horror. So we'll, King probably related a lot too. So, yeah, I, I like Ben. Good guy. I'd be friends with him. I didn't mind him. I, I think, like Kenneth, at, at first I didn't really enjoy his character. He seemed a bit arrogant, but trying to play it off as sensitive. And then as the story progresses and he progresses and he really has to come into the story and, and be the rock. I think I really started liking him. But I did feel that sometimes he was just too perfect, you know? Like, when, especially when he's talking to Sue's parents. And, I mean, you, I kind of got the feeling that even though Mrs. Norton never came around to liking Ben, that even in those moments, he was still able to kind of win her over. It didn't and so, seem like it. It really I, did not. She did not like him. Yeah, she but I think at some point she softened. Just like Kenneth did at first. She said, don't you go talking to that young girl. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, again, I don't. I didn't mind him. And I just, it didn't, he didn't really stick out very much to me. Yeah, on the note of like him being too perfect and meeting her parents, I remember writing a note where it almost seemed like he was not like too perfect by um general terms but too perfect for that situation so he was doing things when he was meeting like her dad where i was like that's not a normal thing someone would willingly do in front of someone's dad when you're meeting like a potential love interests family not just because you know i mean you can be genuine in yourself but like you're not going to just be burping in their faces yeah like they liked it but it just seemed like <laughs> they liked when he burped in their faces <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> i mean um, you know then people in maine you don't know sorry if anybody is listening in maine what i assumed is that like i think as you learn that you know his wife died in that motorcycle accident mm -hmm. and all that i feel like he kind of views life a little bit different you know because mm. I don't know how old he is exactly in this movie, but he seems a little, uh, I don't know, 
wise for his age, I guess. And I think he just is kind of like, it's not worth faking anything. Yeah, like, I he, think he's supposed to be early 30s from what yeah. the math that I did, according to the little hints they drop. Um, and yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that really sobers him up. And I mean, you guys know it. Trauma can affect you differently and age you 10, 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. whatever. And I think maybe that is what it was here. He was just like, you know what? I don't really care. I like this girl and she's an adult, not 17 like you thought. And, uh, you know, <laughs> if her parents don't like him at the end of the day, she can still make her own choices. So I'm just going to be my authentic self. That's true. Which yeah. can appreciate. What about Sue? What do you guys think of Susan? He really likes the name Susan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like I liked almost all of the characters. <laughs> well, mm. no, let me back that up. Let me back that way up. I really liked almost all of the main characters. There were a lot mm. of supporting characters okay. that I just, we can get into that. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I liked Susan a lot too because she is a young girl. She is, I think, relatable. I'm sure Kenneth can say the same thing. Maybe not. I think you've had a very great relationship with your mother and mine has been, you know, up and down. Um, so I remember having a conversation with her about um, not liking my boyfriend. And I said, well, you know what? Leave me alone. And then I moved in with him. So it was all very real for me. <laughs> and it I wasn't thought- me. It was not you. Oh, I was wondering. um, But I just, I found her super relatable. But then at the same time, she did all of the things that I would have been way too scared out of my mind to ever even think about doing. So I was like, you go, Glenn Coco. Like, do it on behalf (laughs) of all of us, because I can't. Yeah, I, I enjoyed her. Um, I, I let, she, she won me over almost immediately because she made some sort of crack about getting an art degree. (laughs) And I have a degree in art history. I think I wrote a note that just said, ouch. Mm. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, all right. And um, kind of like what Paige was saying, um, both in Salem's Lot with Susan's mom, as well as in Carrie with Carrie's mom, I have I see a lot of my relationship with my father. So I was able to connect a lot with, um, with Susan as well. So I, I enjoyed her. Yeah, I felt bad that she got turned into a vampire. Same. Yeah, I thought she was really good and much like he can be hit or miss with writing children i think that stephen king can be very hit or miss with writing female characters mm-hmm. despite all of tabby's help and i think that he really does a good job here and like you said Paige, i it, i find it really hard to not like any of the characters in here maybe they're not my favorite maybe i don't like them as much as others but i there's not really any character in here like a billy nolan from carrie that I just despise. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I like Sue, and I thought she was charming. I thought she was witty. I thought she was a very strong female character. And yeah, I was when I first read it, I was very shocked to that she died. And relatively early-ish in the book, I would say, as things start going down, like I, I don't even think it's the third act that she gets turned and killed. I think that's about midpoint. So what about you, Kyle? What'd you think of Sue? I gotta respect a strong, independent woman who's willing to ditch her old boyfriend for this strange guy, and uh, you know, she just does her thing, doesn't give a fuck what her mom says, I respect it. She said, you know what? I'm fucking out. I'm independent, I don't need your ass anymore, I'm 17 and, or something like that. And, and she slapped her mom Yeah. before she said all that. You know what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good for her. 
And she was trying to trick all those mother suckers when she was a vampire. She was like, join us. It's not so bad. Yeah. They saw through it, but I respect the attempt, you know? It's effort that counts. Yeah, A for effort. I want to talk about Straker. Are you guys okay with that? Sure. There are so many characters in this. Can I just say, when we get to the point where we're talking about non-main characters, you're going to have to give me their role in the book because I can't remember everyone's names. You're going to have to be like Gravedigger, Innkeeper. Yeah. You know. I think that that... Guy having a marital affair. I think (laughs) the baby. Oh. I think that my first read through this, so this was my third read through this book and on my first read i hated the beginning i thought it was so damn slow and it was almost unbearable to get through and this time around i loved it because and maybe i have the benefit of knowing what happens at the end but it's so much a slow burn and he's just building this small little town and really getting you involved with these characters so that later when they do get turned or they do have something bad, you're, you're like, oh, there it is. I remember them from the beginning and what they do and where they're from and how long their family's been and blah, blah, blah. So I think that he does a really good job with that here. I agree with you. I think it was important to have, but I had the disservice of not knowing what the hell was going on whatsoever as per usual. Mm. Um, and it, so I listened to these audiobooks, right? And this one was like 17 hours. It took me probably a week to get through the first two hours. And it was, I had to force myself to turn it on. I was like, this is boring. I can't figure out who these people are. Like it's, it was too much for me. And it wasn't until after all of that had like finally ended that I was like, oh, this is a really interesting spooky little book. Let me, let me keep listening. Um, so I kind of wish like there was something that, drew me in faster as a first time reader listener yeah something to draw you in like the marston house i agree um though i agree and then disagree so like the there's a part in the beginning where he's doing all this world uh, world building around uh salem's lot that i love he's giving context for the name and like all of these just like historical historical air quotes um stuff around the town that kind of places it in the real world but the part where he's like going through a day in salem's lot and he's like 9 a.m <laughs> this person oh my woke up and ate some toast i just i was like okay are these people important it was excruciating Does this it was so bad like, <laughs> like oh my god <laughs> All right, well, we'll definitely have to talk about Kenneth's least favorite character, (laughs) eating toast. Uh, But before that, let's talk about Straker, uh, Barlow's familiar. And I know that Paige has some very interesting thoughts about this character, so let's start with you. Okay, so the entire time, number one, I have a very clear picture of this man in my head. And the one thing that stood out to me from the get-go is this dude has fingers that are six inches long. Six inches. All right, so from one knuckle to my other knuckle, I know that's an inch, right? Because I use it to measure things like a weirdo. Six of those six inch long fingers? You're kidding. And he's a regular dude. Like, what is a familiar that he has six inch long fingers? Do you want to know what Paige said to me? Yes. When she first read that part? She said, this dude has six inch long fingers. That's bigger than some people's penises. <laughs> she ain't and I wrong. said, "Yep." <laughs> mm. She ain't wrong. 
I mean, it was, look, I don't know why, but I have harped on that from the second that I heard it till the end of the book. Even after he was dead, I was like, six inch long fingers. Like, and what the hell? So, <laughs> <laughs> uh... so only, uh, I mean, aside from the six inch fingers, what does Straker look like to you? You said you have a clear image in your head. Oh my gosh, he's tall, he's lanky, he moves as if he doesn't take steps, he just glides, right? He's kind of got like a, a bluish hue to his whole body in my mind, right? Like gray hair that's got kind of a bluish hue, his skin is really pale, it has kind of a bluish hue, his fucking fingernails on his six inch long fingers, also a bluish hue in my mind. He's like, he's buttoned up, he just, I feel like he looks creepy as fuck but so perfect so you're thinking just the way that dr manhattan from watchmen <laughs> did you guys watch uh, Buffy, that the is. vampire slayer the series no. oh god damn it no. there's an episode where it's all it's a silent episode <laughs> but there's guys that literally float around in suits and they're pale and it's just pretty much what Paige just explained and that's honestly kind of what i pictured too in my head See? like how like proper they're supposed to look and yeah. stuff like that Paige, that was a lot more than I thought you were. You spent a lot of time thinking about Straker. Okay, but I think it's different also because you guys read a description of him or people's interactions. I have mm. a voice as well that goes along with it. And his voice is like very proper and Ooh. like this. It's all like it's it's very fluid. It's like got this weird little accent. Like he's kind of old. He's kind of foreign, but he's also not. Like he's super familiar. Because he is. So he is I think maybe foreign. that adds yep. an extra layer. <laughs> he is a familiar. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah. He's all. Oh. Oh. Hey. Look. <laughs> see. They did a great job. <laughs> yeah. I I really liked him and. I think that he was menacing, but he really, he had that charisma that all the ladies of the town mm -hmm. loved him. I mean, they, a lot of them thought that he was gay uh, with Barlow, but, you know, they were still attracted to him in their own way. And I mean, I think Susan even said, I, I don't have the page readily available because there's a thousand sticky notes down there. But, you know, when Matt's asking her about what she thought of Straker, and she's like, well, you know, I was attracted to him and it was kind of in a sexual way too, but there was also a, a way that wasn't sexual and just the way he moved and the way he talked. And so I, I think that he's a really good character to kind of go through that town and draw attention, but also draw everybody in. Yeah. Since you didn't ask, um, when I think of Straker, I envision... <laughs> oh. My bad. I thought Paige covered it for all of us. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's really the same. Like, I think of, like, Nosferatu, but, like, um, but, like, a sexually attractive Nosferatu. Yes. Sexually? I think that pretty much yeah, hits like the nail on the chiseled, head, honestly. <laughs> kind of young, you know? Really? Well, that's mm -hmm. just because yep. Susan mentions that she's, like, sexually attracted to him. So I assume that he'd be at least a little, like... You know, I mean, it helps that he's probably got like a British accent or something, but yeah, huh? But I know he's supposed to be a bald. Well, he's really right? strong too. Yeah, he's supposed yeah. to be bald. Yeah. yeah. But he's uh he's really strong. Mm -hmm. You know, can mm -hmm. lift things that are three to four hundred pounds without any energy. Yeah. What is that about? And uh, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Who is he? What is what? What he's, is that? He's man? a familiar. Yeah. 
Yeah, but what does that mean? Because all the only <laughs> experience that I have with the word familiar comes from that TV show, What We Do in the Shadows. Um, it's not strong. Guillermo <laughs> is just not it. So I no. <laughs> So what is uh, familiar for you guys? In different uh, stories, but I believe what they're going for is like he's not like he's still human, but he has powers that were given to him by Barlow, and, and he's not like turned fully into a vampire so kind of i think almost like um father callahan right how he drank mm -hmm. from barlow but barlow didn't huh. suck on his neck i think it's the same kind of concept where he didn't suck on his neck so he ain't gonna be a vampire but he's got something going on yeah. yeah, I think also you could make the argument that he got his strength from the Satanist practices that he had. So at, at the end of the book, you find out that he sacrificed Ralphie Glick as a ritual. And that dog. And the dog. Oh, so I think you could also argue that maybe he got his strength from those demonic evil forces. But yeah, I, I just always assumed. So there's a movie from the 80s called Fright Night, which is a great great vampire movie but his familiar in that is also very strong and almost unstoppable and so I, I think it is you know you get this attachment and that he had uh barlow had straker just drink his blood and gave him powers but didn't fully turn him to keep him you know his familiar because once you turn him you know he's off on his own and gets his own familiar i also thought right. while reading um that when he when people did find him attractive when they were sexually attracted to him i thought that was also a supernatural kind of thing i didn't think it was just they fancied this guy just old mm. fuck in a suit you know like they're like <laughs> there's something supernatural right there. right yeah no that's that's a really good point i also think that he had one of the best descriptions of his death and not even his death just the aftermath so first of all you think you're big and bad because you deliver susan to the master and you tie up this kid where if he somehow gets out of it, he's either going to choke himself or like crush his testicles. Which was so weird. And then, like, why? Yeah. I know. <laughs> I didn't realize that was happening. And then I read it and I was like, oh, yeah, this does happen. Ugh. But anyways, so, and then he's walking back, probably strolling back because he's like, got nothing but time. And then that momentary terror when he looks and sees the empty bed and the, the ropes and then gets crushed in the head by this little kid kid runs off and then you had to go back and tell your master like hey uh <laughs> i don't know that he went yeah. back and told but he died barlow killed him i thought so he too oh. yeah Bar so he he survived and barlow killed him and then when the the three cody um mark and uh ben come back they go to that room and he's hanging upside down and had his yeah, throat like, slashed open and i guess the him. spilling right. of the blood attracted barlow and barlow couldn't help himself but to drink Straker's blood. Yeah. And that really pissed Barlow <laughs> off even more. So. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But great character. Yeah. What about Barlow? What do you guys think of Barlow? I think he was a good villain. That is one creepy motherfucker. Yeah. 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 I liked him as the main protagonist. I mean, I think that he's evil, obviously. So he's very blind to his weaknesses. And. Yeah, I just I like whenever he has a larger speaking role or description, I always was drawn to it and really liked um the way Stephen King presented him as just pure evil. Except for that giant letter. 
Like who, what? Oh, what I love the well, like it's great. Like it, you know, it was nice, but it just practically, I'm thinking he just sat down and pinned a letter. Just, yeah. He said, haven't you ever written like a rage review or like a rage text message and tweet? Yeah. I've tweet, done plenty it just of those. flies. And before you know it, it's like, oh, this is like five pages long. But, but I imagine it like because he's like a vampire and it has to be this way. I imagine mm. he he wrote it with like like a fountain His pen that he oh. Mm-hmm. oh well like you know <laughs> oh, sorry. a fountain pen that he had to like dip <laughs> and like do 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 and it scratched the whole time and I don't know that was a lot. I liked his death. He probably did take his time because like there was a lot of detail in there and it wasn't like. It wasn't hate mail. It was kind of a an F you, right? Like, you guys suck. I rock. I'm the best. I feel like he relished in that moment. Yeah, he sat back with his feet up and said, fuck you, idiot fucks. Mm-hmm. I, I, I win. Preach. I don't know. Like, you know, like, except it sounded better. I did like his death. I loved his death and the fact that, like, yeah, well, okay. After the, you know, when he's like shriveling up and that's a skeleton, and because I, I like the idea of thinking like he's super fucking old, and now that he's been killed, like his his body is like going through all of the um, steps of like decomp that would be happening. Because I don't know how old he is, but I'm assuming that there would be like nothing left. So I just like I liked that. Yeah, just his teeth. I thought Mark was going to put the teeth in his mouth and say, "Look, I'm a vampire." <laughs> I would have if I was there. That's what I'm saying. Um, would you? Yeah, I didn't have any teeth, Kenneth. <laughs> oh, sorry. He, he needed every tooth he could get. All right. So after that, for the main characters, we have Father Callahan, <laughs> who will, surprise, surprise, resurface in another Stephen King book. So, mm. what did you all think of the drunk old Father Callahan? I don't remember when he came into the book. Like reading it, I'm like, yep, don't remember him. He had a he had the short little bit at, towards the beginning in the first act where they just mentioned him looking out over the town. Oh, but okay, it did take a long time for them to get back to him. Yeah, that confused the shit out of me. And they convinced him to like hop on board with their little vampire crew like real quick. Like, I don't know. They're like, yeah, hey, you want to kill some vampires? Like, shit, I ain't got shit to do. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> and like, I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Old guy, let's go. All right, let me ask you guys this then, because I, I had this question. I was trying to save it, but this is a good, good segue. If you had somebody very credible come up to you and say, "Listen, these things are happening. They're very weird. Nobody can explain them. I think it's a vampire." What would you do? And let's start with Cass. I'm right. It is. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> No, but who who is it? Because like I'm trying to think of who I consider credible enough that if they came up to me and said that it's your mom, it's your mom. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Oh. <gasps> oh. oh my goodness. She listens to these. <laughs> it's uh, Bernie Sanders comes up to you. Um. And it's, no. <laughs> nah. No, I would definitely look. I'd love me some Bernie Sanders, but I would yeah. definitely say that's dementia. I'd be like, look, dude. You're like, all right, all right, Mr. Sanders. <laughs> Let's I get love you back you, to bed. So then, who would Let's you believe? You in Vermont. Vermont. Who's who's the a credible? Let's. I don't know. What about Ben? 
Am I going to get you in trouble with everybody you love? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't, I don't know. Cause I feel like he is very rational and that he wouldn't be someone. Well, so is, um, so is Matt. Yeah. Matt's a very rational person, but that's the thing. So this very rational person, Ben comes up and says, Kenneth, you know, Paige died. Brady disappeared. Your mom's body is probably going to like, you know, come back out tonight at the morgue. I think it's vampires. I'd still make him prove it. And they okay. did. I don't know. Right. I, I feel like out of everyone I know, I would be the one being like, I mm-hmm. think it's vampires. Yeah, that makes sense to me. You know? <laughs> yeah, that tracks. Rude. <laughs> Kyle? Like, I love you, Brady, but if you told me, I'd be like, no. But if, like, Dwayne The Rock Johnson came up and said, yo, there's vampires, I'd be like, fuck it, sign me up, bro. 110% believe you. <laughs> yeah. That's understandable. I mean, if it comes down between yeah. me and The Rock. Or Stone Cold yeah. Steve Austin. The Rock, yeah, nine, 9 out of 10. Stone Cold Steve Austin, yeah. Definitely Stone Cold Steve Austin. Paige? Um, I think I... I would say me, but you I would, would incredible. No, I think if I was going with credible, like, my brother and sister-in-law, like, if, mm, if Frank yeah. and Kate came to me and were like, okay, for real, and, like, I would believe them. I really would. And I would be, big fat nope. If they wanted to do anything but run the hell out of the way... Then I would be like, "See ya." Wouldn't want to be ya. Like, absolutely not. I'm not sticking around. Yeah. yeah but what if they told you that like the vampires were going to eat your cats? You wouldn't help. Oh, I will miss them. <laughs> I'll miss them a lot. Shit. They'll be very happy in their little demonic afterlife, but not for me. You could fit one under each no, we can't. arm and no, we can't. Can't. Away. Like, we can't. Oh, we absolutely can't. <laughs> no, I. I would. I if it really came from someone like them and they were really serious like i'd have to believe them they they would have no reason to lie to me you know yeah mm, i would mm-hmm. believe bill nye yeah bill nye the science guy because i feel like he'd be like he's the science guy there's yeah. facts he would also yeah, show you the experiment yeah, yeah. and be like see i can't lie it's right there be like all right cool yeah <laughs> exactly <laughs> we like science right. Wow. <laughs> all right so back to father callahan anyways <laughs> so like kyle said he kind of pops up at the beginning. You have maybe a whole chapter dedicated to him, and then you go through most of the book without hearing, and then he's at the end. So, Paige, what did you think of Father Callahan? Uh, he, he was fine. I didn't have a particular like or dislike for him. It was... I don't know. He was mildly annoying because he wouldn't give a full, like, yeah, I'm on board, or no, I'm not. And then he was also going through his own internal struggle with, like his faith and the church. And Mm. so that was like a a huge distraction for him. So I felt like he was having his own moment while everyone else was actually trying to kill the vampires. Yeah. um, I mean, I liked him in general, uh, but I I agree with everyone. It's, he's very, he just seemed kind of thrown in because they needed a priest. And um, I do feel bad for him because I mean, I can imagine it's really hard if you've chosen a life of faith that if you're starting to question that faith, that it would be very hard. And obviously he's drinking and I'm assuming it's not just like a little bit of drinking. And then of course, like at the end, right. He has to like run away, you know, and he knows that he's evil. And now he knows that he can't enter a church. That was sad. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That part was pretty sad. And I think it was also said like when he's on the bus and he's still, 
fighting his own demons you know he's like go get me a bottle of this and keep your change true alcoholic right um i think that i did like him especially that scene of him and barlow in the petrie's kitchen where faith Mm -hmm. against faith um i really was captivated by that whole scene and then just felt bad for him because you know he up until that point, he had been progressively getting stronger in his faith and his his confidence in himself. And then in that moment, it all faltered and he just crumbled again. So I think mm-hmm. for me, I took that as, you know, he's supposed to be an addict. So it's the same kind of walk an addict can have. You know, you can oh. gain strength, get yourself together, surround yourself with friends. You start losing support system, losing confidence in yourself. You shatter and repeat. You know, it would be yeah. so funny. If hmm. Stephen King didn't mean any of that symbolism whatsoever, when <laughs> he probably doesn't. And and he stumbles upon this wee little podcast, and he says, "You know what? I'm going to give this a shot." And he listens to you, and he's like, "Yeah, that's what I'm going to tell people from now on." Yeah, absolutely. Or oh. he'll listen oh and be God. like, "You full of shit." <laughs> wow, buddy. Life. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, I, I forgot one main character. We still have uh, Jimmy Cody, well, the doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I can go first with this. He was, <laughs> like Paige said about Father Callahan, fine. A regular <laughs> Kevin Gallister. I didn't really. The only memorable thing about him is when he falls oh. and dies, and which oh was terrifying. Mm-hmm. Because that, I, I mean, I remember first reading it, but that was not how it went down in the miniseries. So when I got to that part in the book, I was like, oh my god. So... For the listeners out there, if you haven't read it, basically, Jimmy and Mark find out where Barlow is. It's in Eva Miller's boarding house. So they decide that they have to go look in the basement for him before the sun goes down. And Mark is looking through the kitchen, realizes all the kitchen knives are gone. But before he can put two and two together, Jimmy has gone downstairs, fallen down the stairs that Barlow had his undead following saw off. And then they had taken all the kitchen knives and basically planted them, pointing upwards in the ground, and Jimmy fell right on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I mean, oh, I, no. I felt sad in that moment because he, I mean, had already survived getting bit by Marjorie Glick. And so you were like, there's no way this dude's going to get killed off. Like this, this guy can survive anything. Or mm-hmm. I kept thinking he was going to turn at any moment. And then they would all think that they were safe, like when they all go to bed in Matt's room and then wake up and he's feeding on one of them. Um, but yeah, what about you, Kyle? What'd you think of Jimmy? Right. Uh, he's another. Well, so this, okay, Jimmy, I knew where he came from, but I also <laughs> thought that he was way too quick to be like, yeah, sure, I'll go kill vampires with you. <laughs> like a lot of people in this book, they just like are sign on <laughs> so quick. And I'm like, I, especially for someone who's a doctor, like I don't understand. You're educated, bro. Mm-hmm. Do better. Yeah. But I mean, in that case, he didn't really. I feel like he didn't sign up as fast as maybe Father Callahan did. I think that he, again, went through. We had to prove it with the scientific method, and he, he and Ben right. went to this house or to the funeral yeah. parlor, and he was like, "I will sit here with you all night, and if something happens, then we know." Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I get that, but I, I feel like he's like Father Callahan in the sense that they just needed a crew, and he was just one of the characters that wasn't already getting fucked up in the town yeah like he's kind of separate from everyone else so oh yeah let's get this guy and he'll join and then he dies off mm-hmm. and it's like oh, I, I don't know couldn't care about him yeah 
I just say one more thing about his death? So, <laughs> I mean, I love Mark. I do. But he looked at the knives and he said, I didn't think anything of it at the time. And this is something I tell Brady all the time. We watch all those crime shows and everybody on those shows is like, oh yeah, he was acting weird or he did this thing. I didn't think anything of it at the time. And I'm like, this is it. This is why I'm an overthinker. Cause you know what? I thought about every fucking thing I did. I overthought it. I'm not going to be one of those people who like, oop, mm -hmm. there's a slightly weird thing. I'm going to think about it. I'm going to obsess about it because guess what? not getting stabbed to death falling down a flight. I mean, they stairs, made it look pretty okay? real. They left the, the railing there, and yeah. So. The banister. Oh. Yeah. yeah. On that note, I want to I wanna talk about his death as well. Because, well, I agree. I think in my mind, if it was me standing in that kitchen, I'd be like, hmm, knives. They're not there. Suspicious. But he's also a child and he'd been ta he's in a scary situation that's stressful and he's been tasked to look for a very specific thing and so he's like seen it and his mind has registered it but he's not you know and i also assumed that mm -hmm. like he may have like looked at it and then heard screams which i so this is only our second book but so far when i have been reading. I haven't been like scared by anything. I've been, I've felt like, you know, tense and things like that. But the part where they start talking, like there's the scream and then it starts like a new little section and Mark is coming back up the stairs and they kind of skipped over everything so that he can tell Ben later in the book. There, that part, I felt something akin to being scared. There's something about not knowing exactly what happened to Jimmy but knowing that there was lots of blood and it was scary and like this kid crawling out of the darkness i there's something about that that made it sadder and more scary yeah very very well written because yeah. i remember feeling that too it was like all right did he get ripped to shreds did he get eaten by all these people at once and then you find mm -hmm. out he fell on some knives you know mm -hmm. so anybody else have anything about jimmy cody how Nothing? old was he yeah. I don't know how old he was on the top of my head. I would assume that he was he was one of Matt's students, and he was a young doctor. He took over yeah. for his dad. So I'm going to oh, say... I always imagined him as 40s. I'm gonna, well, I mean, that could I be a young doctor, 30s, right? We don't know. 30s, yeah. yeah, I put like mm. somewhere between like 33 and 37, born in February, between the 10th and the 17th. Okay, all probably. right. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. So he's yeah. an Aquarius. All right, so... Yeah, I mean, I think we all knew that. <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Um... <laughs> So we have a lot of minor characters, yeah. like Kenneth said. So what I'm thinking is I will read a name off, and you guys give me a yay or nay. So yay means you liked them, nay means you didn't like them. All right, you guys cool with that? And if there's anything that you want to talk about, because I know there are a few in there that we probably should mention a couple things about, we can pause and stop. But I don't think that we should spend like 10 minutes talking about some of these characters, because I don't think there's 10 minutes right. worth of stuff. Can you give just a little description of who they are, too? <laughs> yes, yes I, will give, I will try to give their role yeah. in the town. So like, first off is Mabel Wirtz, the town gossip. She got turned into a vampire at the end by her friend who called her over and was like, I don't want to be alone. Nay. Yeah, nay. Yay. I have nothing. Oh, I knew you would say that. <laughs> I love a little gossip, man. I oh love my gosh. A little lady town gossip. She has her binoculars by the window. <laughs> what the fuck's going on? I, mm. I know she's not going to listen to this, but every time she came up for some reason, Paige, I thought of your mom. 
Well, Damn, shots fired. Um, well, on that kind of related, I mean, King does a really great job with like um, giving you like a mental visual of certain things. And he has a whole bit of where he kind of manifests what like small town gossip and i think he talks about mm-hmm. like the electrical poles cool. and the buzz or like the phone poles and i i just loved that whole like buzz with gossip yeah that was really good visual. all right next one up we have floyd tibbets susan's ex-boyfriend when puritan's nephew he gets turned into a vampire partway through the transition he attacks ben in a very weird get up Yay or nay? Eh. Nay. I I, I want to say yay because he like was willing to fight for his girl, but it wasn't like really him. So he didn't him, really so do anything wrong. He just wasn't lovable. <laughs> <laughs> well, he wasn't lovable for Susan. <laughs> I mean, his mom might have loved him. I feel like his presence didn't really add anything for me. Like, I almost feel like he didn't even need to, like... I guess him attacking Ben was how Ben was like, oh, there are vampires yeah. in the town that are not Barlow. But I'm like, mm, I feel like he could have just scrapped the whole yeah, bit about Ben going to the hospital and I would have been fine. Agreed. All right. Next up, we have Charlie Rhodes. He was the mean-spirited bus driver, tormented the kids. At the beginning, he's talking about how he used to make the kids walk, and then at the end, he's got a pretty... I think a pretty cool yeah, death scene nay. <laughs> nay. i'm gonna say nay so people don't look down on me okay do you want to say yay we don't we don't judge i mean you. i'm gonna say it right now he put he kept those kids in line and if i had a, if i had to drive a bus with some snot-nosed kids making yeah. comments i'd be like you're gonna walk this is a service he well, sometimes yeah. yeah. crack a few eggs to make an omelet, you know. That's why I'm saying yeah. You no. know, they were I'm just switching. like passing no. notes. <laughs> they were uh, so I'm not saying that he was justified right. in everything he did, like, but I just I gotta say, you know, he he kept those kids in line. They knew not to not to fuck around on his bus. Man, the man's had the wrong. Oh, uh, really? Profession. He did. Done. Like, get a new job. Yeah. Stop ruining yeah. lives. Mm-hmm. Um. <laughs> But I did really like his death scene, how he thinks kids are fucking with his bus, which they were. And then he gets over there and mm-hmm. they lock him in and they're undead and they and then they fell on him. I Oof. loved that. That was great. Just the the idea of like shining your flashlight on like a bus that's been all battered and windows are broken and you just see like a because it's the same thing with how children ghosts are always scarier than adult ghosts. I feel like child vampires are scarier and they're all like small. And- well, I'll, I'll raise you one better and yeah. just say, if I shined my light on just a normal child, I would freak out. <laughs> yeah. I think that is- If they're not where they're supposed to be? Okay, yeah. Just in general, I could be out in public and be like, oh, and that is 10 times scarier than a vampire to me. Um, <laughs> all right, so we got Charlie Roots. Two yays for Charlie, two nays. All right, now we're moving into the, the nitty gritty. We've got Mike Ryerson, the gravekeeper. He's the one that stayed at uh, Matt's house. Yay. I got to go with yay. That's a yay. Yeah. Yeah. And not really because of any outstanding character that he had, but I just think that he's menacing when he 
turns and he comes back and he has that whole scene with Matt where he calls him teacher and he's trying to force him to look at him. Um, I think that he's important mm-hmm. to the plot, which is why I said yay. So everything else about him is kind of forgettable, but he's important with yeah. with Matt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have, I'm going to couple these two together. I have Reggie Sawyer and Bonnie Sawyer. So Reggie was the car mechanic. Bonnie was the one having an affair with the telephone pole guy. Yay. Oh my god. <laughs> Yay. I, that scene in the book made me the most uncomfortable oh of anything yeah. in the entire thing. I uh, absolutely hated it. Yeah. Where, oh. yeah. It was awful. It just, like, it exuded well, rape energy, and right. then obviously he did yeah. rape his wife. But, like, mm. I just can't. Like, it was so awful and uncomfortable and i felt like it didn't have a place in vampire world and he just like made me queasy to my that's what i'm saying about the town good reason at the beginning so you said there's no No. place in a vampire story yeah but that's just the town so it's full of these people who are already doing shitty things to each other yeah but we were already in it like we were in the story we were in vampires we Mm -hmm. didn't need that it made me Grossly uncomfortable. Well, yeah. I mean, I think yay for their characters because I, like I said, I think it just goes with my overall feelings of how the town was written. Um, but yeah, just again, like an evil guy that's evil on his own without the help of vampires. Um, mm-hmm. And then... I feel like he overreacted so badly. Like, you, you shouldn't cheat on your partner, but also like... Jesus yeah. Christ. That's a lot. Like. Um, well, after them, we have, <laughs> on that note, we have uh, <laughs> Dud Rogers, the guy at the town dump who was shooting all the rats. Yeah, I hate nay. that man. That's, that's going to be a no nay. for me, dog. Yeah. Especially like when he's naming all the rats to people in the town. Oof. My my issue yeah. is like, how old do you think he's supposed to be? I would guess seventy. Yeah, that sounds about right. Because one of the issues I had, and of course, like it's not like a huge issue, is they keep talking about this Ruthie girl, mm-hmm. and everyone keeps saying things. I'm like, leave her alone. She's just trying to get through high school. And on that note, she's in high school, and for some reason, he he wants her. He get he like Barlow promises to give Ruthie to him. And I'm like, ew, aren't we talking about a child? Yeah, I read him as like maybe 50s to 60s, kind of old geezer who runs the, Mm. I mean, he's got the hunch. So he's not really like the best looking dude out there. He works at the dump, doesn't smell that Mm -hmm. great. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a nay for me. Whew. All right. Well, then we've got who? I got You're missing one. Parkins Gillespie. Oh, I was getting to him. Oh God! Well, I just wanted to say how much I hate that guy. Really? I, I hate him. every bit of him. I like. I'm with him. I would peace out, but I hate him. I think I had. I liked his reaction to everything. So, like at the end, where they're like, "You have to fight." He's like, "No, I don't." My gun and badge are in there. I'm gonna watch TV and then head out before Nolly comes back tomorrow awful. night. I respect it. Like, yeah, awful. I'm just it was go to the next awful. town. Also, he. Mm-hmm. I I liked the way that he represented like small town law enforcement 
very personable, but very much in your business, like trying not to seem like it, like he's talking to everybody. And then you're like, all right, well, is he talking to them as their friend Parkins or is he talking to them as the sheriff? And I think he treats them like people though. Yeah. Like he's like, well, you don't have to tell me anything. Mm -hmm. Like I'm just asking, you know? Yeah. Um, I think mm -hmm. that the audiobook maybe works against me again here because this dude's voice was awful. <laughs> Well, you see, there's just a problem down there. That's what he sounded like. And I was oh, like, no. I hate you. I hate when you speak. I hate everything you do. And then at the oh. end, you were just like, nah, not for me. Like, so calm. Get upset. Be scared. Do something. I just, I don't like him. Yeah. I I enjoyed him because I liked that he was, I felt like he just he just knew more than people thought he did. And he was hip to everything. And I feel like you could connect to him as like the reader where you kind of know what's happening, but you're not going to be in the final battle. You're going to read about two people in the final battle. And I just, I don't know. I enjoyed how much he, he just like knew. Yeah. I made a note where I was like, he's either going, he either knows more than he's showing or he's going to be a vampire. So Yeah. And he, Oh, go ahead. Go oh, at the end, he just says like, yeah, I know they're vampires, right? There's no like part in the book where, they show or they talk about him figuring out it's vampires. He just, it's like, I was just about to say that. Yeah. He just is like, yeah. Yeah. Vampires. And in that way, he reminded me a lot of the <laughs> grandpa in Lost Boys. And I love that part of the Oh, end. yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's like, oh, yeah. They've been here forever. Um, <laughs> all right. So let's go back to the speed round. We have Eva Miller, the owner of the boarding house. She slept with Weasel once or twice or a couple times. Yay. Yay. I don't care about her at all. So, nay, I don't know. <laughs> so rude. <laughs> I think she was fine. In the, in the little mm. bit she has. You know, she's a little nosy, but I kind of figured the person who owns the boarding house in that small town would be a little nosy about who's staying there. All right. We've all right. got Ann Norton, Susan's mom. Nay, fuck that bitch. Nay. <laughs> nay. Nay. What about Bill Norton? <laughs> also a nay. I don't really care about him that much. Uh, I'll say I'll nay. Say nay. Too. Nay, didn't really do much for me. Uh, Hank Peters, one of the moving men for Crockett. Uh, he helped move. He bribed... Um... Royal? I, I think he's the one. Yeah, he bribed Royal. And then Royal goes back to the office. So we can just lump, lump them together. Royal and Hank, the two delivery men. I think that they have a really good part in, in the book that's very important. Mm -hmm. And terrifying because it's one of your first real interactions with the Marston house. In Hash, uh, not hashtag quote unquote present day. So, what do you guys think? I think yay. Right. They gave me my first real like. Oh, I'm spooked with you. Yeah. Mm hmm. Okay. Yeah. I like that part yay. of the book, but as them as characters, nay. I do like the suspense of that part. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, we have Virgil Rathbun, drunk buddies with Frank Baden. They were the two guys who were drinking, like. Homemade moonshine in their shack. Who is Frank Bodden? <laughs> He's the friend of Virgil. Yeah, I'm supposed to know that guy. Um, uh, all right, how about no Nate? I think it's a big, a big name for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> and then we've got Henry and June Petrie, Mark's parents. I'd say I'd say yay. Other than when Mark's yeah. dad comes in and is like, "When are you going to outgrow this stuff?" I was like, "Why don't you leave him alone? Oh, He's yeah. like 11." I if know. he's getting into this stuff instead of the drugs that the other kids who are apparently dying at the high school are getting into, like, why don't you just leave him alone? I want to say yay. Mm -hmm. 
but in the movie, big nay. Yeah. All right. Um, I'll say yay. I feel like, I don't know if I'm remembering this right. There is a point. I think it might be the point where he's talking about the Petries that King uses a slur. And I don't know if it's like, there's a couple times in here. I can't tell if it's King saying this thing or the character he's talking about saying this thing. So I don't know if he was referring to himself as an Italian slur or if King was referring to I thought he was referring as... to himself as an Italian slur, but I could be I wrong because think it's bold. Sure okay. Yeah, that's probably okay. true. He does All be right. throwing around some slurs sometimes. Oh, yes, so, he does. Yeah. I think it's both. Oof. Um, and then you have, I mean, the rest of these are, are just pretty. Well, there's the Glick kids, right? Yeah, that's right. true. Ralphie and, mm-hmm. and Danny Glick, what do you think of hey, them? Hey, grow the fuck up. Oh. They're babies. Yay. Because also, I, yay. can you imagine that creepy little fucking vampire kid clinging on to the window? Like just that mm-hmm. little bit outside. Oh my God. Yes. I imagine he doesn't have shoes on, which makes it so much worse. Yep. Yeah. You know, just, I can just see I'm, I'm his little tiny kid hands like gripping. Ugh. Ugh. Hate it, but I love him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yay for me. Definitely. Definitely like their characters. Although, mm-hmm. I've been in that situation where I've had to take my kid brother along with me to places. Not not the situation of like a vampire. Like, what is happening? Um, <laughs> I was really confused. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you guys. Um, but taking my kid brother everywhere, and he was so annoying. And so if I had been like trying to run through the woods with him or something and jumped over a creek and he fell, I'd be like, get up. Like, come on, stop crying. And if he was like, oh, there's something in the woods, I'm like, yeah, there probably is. <laughs> Just keep moving. So, or it's gonna get you. So, I, I, I could definitely identify with that. Um, and if he appeared at my window in Vampire State, if he appeared at my window in Human State, I'd be like, please get away. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> all right. So after that, we got Sandy McDougal, Royce McDougal, and little Randy McDougal. I say you the bully. I can't remember. No, uh, Sandy. Oh, that's the Sandy baby. is the well. He didn't oh, punch the, the baby. baby. Sandy just Aww. punched the baby a couple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think oh, I yay, hate that. Yay for baby, right? Especially right, yeah. yay for tiny infant vampire baby. What? Mm. Love that. Mm-hmm. Get it, um, baby. Yay for dad because he was he really was concerned. Um, kind of stupid, but concerned, and then absolutely mm-hmm. fucking nay for her. Get out. Absolutely. I'm going to say nay for both Sandy and Royce because Royce was a complete asshole to his wife the entire time and was constantly getting mad at her because she didn't lose her baby weight or whatever else, didn't have dinner ready. And so, yes, like he gets some points because he was like, "Mm, I think you're like messing with my kid. But instead of investigating it further, he's like, just give me a beer. It's cool. Just make sure dinner's ready. Mm -hmm. All right. Fair enough. So, yeah. Or she could be like, uh, you know, everything's fine. He just rolled off the table, and he's like, oh, "Okay, sounds good enough for me." Right. But oh so, and, and I was if, so shocked by that scene. Yeah, I was like, she just starts punching him, and I'm like, "What the? What the heck? I, what is happening?" I think the scene that got it for me was when she he's dead, and she just tries to put the pudding in between his lips. Oh my god, that yeah. was so, so awful. So yeah, that was a. Uh, King said, you want to read some horror? <laughs> yeah. He's like, you thought um, this was we're bad? We're punching babies. <laughs> <laughs> we're, feeding, we're feeding pudding to dead babies over here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. And then 
I mean, the rest of these, we don't even, I'm not going to spend any time talking about Ben Mears' wife that got killed on the motorcycle or the Marstons. We already talked about Hubie a little bit at the beginning. The last character, if you guys want to talk about, you know, is maybe, no, no, we're good. Everything else is like the Glicks, parents, um, mm-hmm. people at the boarding house, Corey Bryant, Larry Crockett. Whatever happened to Crockett? Did he die? I don't remember. Um, yeah, they're turned into vampires. Yeah. Oh, okay. I know. Um, I actually there was a character that I think after reading his part, I actually texted Brady because uh, it's the the owner of the um, the funeral home. Yeah. And I read his part, and I just sent him a text, and I was like, I am not gonna like how King writes about Jewish people, am I? And he was just like, no. <laughs> nope. Uh, was that, um, oh, was it Maury Green? Was I can't remember. remember. I think Maury's right. Yeah, I can't remember his last yeah. name. Um, but Sounds like a name that Stephen King would use for a Jewish right, person, honestly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so other than that, the last character is Jerusalem, the pig owned by Charles Tanner that escaped and went feral that Jerusalem's lot was named what? after. You're counting that as a that's character? A yay. That's a yay. I like that that's little a, pig. That's one of it's the most yay. important characters. It's a big yay. That's some pig. Well, that's true. And that poor doggo. And the poor doggo, but we don't oh, have to talk yeah. about that. Poor doggo. Dog. Yeah. Is that the yeah. dog's name? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's pretty much all the characters. Uh, you guys have anything yeah. specifically from the book, an excerpt or a portion or a part you want to talk about? Yeah. I sure do. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, right. Oh. I have a lot of criticism, it, it seems like, tonight. Um, there is a part where he starts talking about, like, I guess it's the secrets that everyone has. I don't know what it is. He drones on and on and on, and it gets fucking weirder and weirder. And he talks <laughs> about this guy who puts on ladies' underwear and stands in the mirror and then falls on his knees and jerks off. Bro, what? Yeah. I don't need any of that. It's too much. I hated it. And then, <laughs> I don't know what you're looking at me like. I thought before. we don't yeah. kink shame. I'm not- <laughs> <laughs> I listened to the first episode. No, no, it just, I felt like it was unnecessary. Like, why do I need to know this much and that portion too just went on forever and just in mm-hmm. general i think i hate the way that stephen king writes absolutely anything sexual any sexual yes. interaction mm-hmm. well you're gonna hate some talked about <laughs> fingering someone's belly button mm-hmm. what it's it's weird. i didn't think and he fingered the belly button so i thought it was right he, under the name he caressed the rim he gave a rim all down right to the belly that's something <laughs> it was not good there's some whatever there's lint and stuff in there that's gross well, you should wash yours well, every once in a while. It's, it's like your hair. You're not yeah. supposed to wash it more than once a week. <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't be here again. I, I agree. I think that there's quite a few parts that I'm like, didn't his editor have to like read this? And he let it go through. Like, And some stuff is just um, not even like uh, story-based, but maybe like structure where like there's one point where there's a paragraph and it's a paragraph, but it is one sentence with a high with like a parentheses. And I'm like, this is, this is too complicated. Mm, why, mm. why did you write this sentence? I can't read. He like adds in a, in parentheses, something totally that he could have, could have been a different sentence, anything. And it's so hard to read. There's a point where um, they go to the church to get the holy water, Ben and Mark do. And they meet the um, 
secretary, like Father Callahan's secretary. Oh, yeah, yeah. And King introduces her in just like regular, regular text saying, oh, it was Mrs. whatever her last name was. I can't remember. And then like two sentences down, she then introduces herself like, oh, I'm Mrs. Da -da 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 -da, Father Callahan's secretary. And I'm like, why? Why did you make you? Why did you introduce her twice? Right. One after the other. And it some of some stuff like that. But then on another <laughs> note, I have something else. I wish that Barlow had still been in the Marston house at the end. Cause I like the idea of like beginning with the Marston house and ending with the Marston house. And I felt like it was such a big part of the story. And then we didn't get to end in the Marston house, you know, been good. Did you ever see the no, uh, miniseries? Well, then you should because I okay. think you'd like that. Then you should watch that right now. Um, yeah, oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> that's a long movie. Uh, what about Three you, Kyle? Hours. So, I wanted to uh, read the quote from when Susan gets staked because I absolutely loved it. that little paragraph. It's quoted as. The hammer struck the top of the stake squarely, and the gelatinous tremor that vibrated up the length of ash would haunt him forever in his dreams. Her eyes flew open, wide and blue, as if from the very force of the blow. Blood gushed upward from the stake's point of entry in a bright and astonishing flood, splashing his hands, his shirt, his cheeks. In an instant, the cellar was filled with its hot, coppery odor. That's insane. I'm assuming it, like, spewed, mm. like, a water fountain Oof. or something, right? Like yeah. that I, I just that descriptive uh like little bit, like I don't know. When I read that, that just made me so happy. <laughs> okay. I, and well, I wish all of them died that way, like just in the like most gr violent graphic ways. No, it's it's definitely a a really sad and depressing part of the book too, because you just kind of mm -hmm. feel all that pain for Ben as he has to go over and over again. Ugh. I have one of my mm -hmm. favorite parts. So I get a couple. So you're going to have to bear with me. But one of my most favorite parts is the end of part one, where Matt is describing, or King is writing Matt describing what he hears from the upstairs room where Mike is staying. And he says... <clears throat> He could not have risen even if the brass knob on his own door had begun to turn. He was paralyzed with fear and wished crazily that he had never gone out to Dell's that night. I am afraid. And in the awful heavy silence of the house, as he sat impotently on his bed with his face in his hands, he heard the high, sweet, evil laugh of a child, and then the sucking sounds. Oh, ugh, just chills every time. Because just imagine sitting in your downstairs or your basement, wherever, and you got somebody in the spare room, and you hear this child start laughing, and then you hear just, like, them sucking the blood. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and then really anything to do with how Stephen King writes the town of Salem's Lot, I think is just pure gold. So in Chapter 10... He talks about the town knew about darkness. It knew about the darkness that comes on the land. Paige, this might be the part that you actually hated, where it talks about everybody's secrets. I liked that a lot, because I think that that, again, really just gives mm -hmm. more into the fact of the town 
these the seediness underneath and no we don't kink shame but you know there are some things in there that people wouldn't want to be known to the public and but it's saying hey this still goes on in this town so i i really like that i think all of that's fine great but stop droning on about it that <laughs> section went on for what seemed like an hour and it wasn't but it was just like holy crap, get on with it. Like, we get it. Thanks. I felt like when I was reading it, I don't know, Kenneth, if you felt this way, but it felt, it didn't seem like it dragged on for me, at least. So I don't know if it's an audiobook thing or maybe it's just a me thing. It might be an audiobook thing. I can't remember if it dragged on. Um, I do remember being like, what the fuck? <laughs> but, um, yeah, I can't imagine having someone like read it aloud to me. <laughs> I feel like it's a Stephen King thing. Mm. Yeah. Because he's very descriptive about things and sometimes he does mm -hmm. just go on and on. But I think it's to build like um build a story and to make it seem a little bit more right. real. Give it a little give more give it more oof. life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Again, you don't true. really need it though. Yeah. So would you guys be able to drive a stake through somebody if they turned into if if you knew they were an actual vampire? Depends who. Let me know. I'll do it. All right, you gotta put a stake through Sam. Uh yeah, probably. Okay. Kenneth, you got to put one through Ben, your mom. Um, I I could probably do it. I think it would be... A, I'm sorry, Ben, if you're listening to this. I think it would be harder for me to drive a stake through my mom mm. than for Ben. I feel like I could probably... He, he doesn't want to be a vampire. Mm. And not unless it's, you know, count on count. <laughs> he doesn't want to be a vampire. <laughs> Yeah, all right, Paige. Could I'm not even going to ask that question. Would you put a? <laughs> would you kill Brady? That's what would you? Would you a drive a stake through your cat? Through your evil, evil heart. Through my cat? Okay. Yeah. My evil heart. Yeah, I would absolutely do that. Well, um, yeah, vampires? I would totally. If you were a vampire, done. <laughs> if I then, if I hadn't already left, they probably wouldn't even have to let me know that you fully turned, and I would drive the stake through. Ouch. They'd be like, we might, we think she might have been bit. I was like, give me the steak. I'll take care of this. Oh my god! I just, I know, maybe, oh, and this is gonna come out. Oh, here wrong. we go. You are very persuasive already, and you have a very good time creating fictional realities to tell the people. Um, and like, you get a kick out of lying to people yeah. sometimes, and not in like a, a bad way. Just it's in, not like, like a sociopathic a, way. Telling someone a lie. <laughs> no, so, like telling someone a lie about your life at a party and like going on about it. I don't know. So I feel like you as a vampire, like you would be just the sneakiest little fuck and you would get everybody. Everyone would let you in. It'd be awful. Little sneaky little snake. So all right, I just, I just wanted a simple yes or no. I didn't, didn't need <laughs> oh, all that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'd kill you. So, um, <laughs> all right. Yeah. I could, I mean, I'm trying to think like, so not, this is going to come out wrong too. I know that I could kill you because you wouldn't want to be a vampire. But like thinking about like I don't know, younger people that I love, so like the girls Definitely. or like or like Kenneth if it yeah. was your niece. Oh no. I'd have to like rough. keep her in a cage yeah. or something. I'd be like I can't. I can't. I just <laughs> she's just my pet vampire now. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. yeah. So that'd be rough. I think ultimately I would still have to mm -hmm. do it, but when I was reading the book, it was, that's like what I had to go to for when I, if I ever felt myself being like, oh man, like they couldn't just 
put somebody out of their misery, like, you know, they're going to turn into a vampire. Like I would not want my mm-hmm. wife to be undead. And, but then it's like, Oh, okay. It's not as black and white as that. There's all these emotions. And mm-hmm. yeah, I've had similar convers like internal conversations considering like, cause I don't think about vampires. Um, <laughs> but you're missing out. I'm, I'm terrified of zombies and the concept of zombies. So mm. I thought about like, what would I do if like my mom got bitten by a zombie and starts, you know, is going to turn into a zombie. And it would be, I think I'd have to just like let her wander off somewhere. I don't think I would be able to. Like... <laughs> just put a blindfold on her. <laughs> yeah. Let her go in any direction. I've... You know, it's like that, the end of that movie with the dog where it's just like, get out of here. I don't love you. <laughs> Meanwhile, you're sobbing. <laughs> I've thought about that like I've thought about that a lot too because of zombie movies I grew up on zombie movies so I've thought about that and I ev- you have to kill people because yeah. every zombie movies where they don't kill people it goes bad except for Shaun yeah. of the yeah. Dead where he keeps them in the shed and they just play video games, play video games. <laughs> which is really cool yeah. But, nice uh, yeah yeah all right so how about that ending what do you guys think of the ending of the book I know we're only can on the- I ask Mm -hmm. where you consider the beginning because i'm really just like last time i'm really bad at pinpointing yeah i kind of assumed the ending started like maybe with susan's death or something well not no because there's a bunch of stuff between that and i don't know it's it ends with father callahan talking to matt and then about callahan having to go up to the house with everybody so with mark and cody and and ben and then part three what i think the end is is when they talk about the lot waking up on the morning of october 6th and not being alive and then from there you still have everything with father callahan at the petrie's house and i think it's good i think that it, Mm -hmm. it doesn't i don't really like the way barlow dies i think it seemed to me very anticlimactic and I was really hoping for something, like you said, Kenneth, where he's stuck at the house mm-hmm. and maybe that's like they burn the whole town down there mm-hmm. and then drive out. Um, but I, other than that, and that's just, I think, a minor thing for me, I really liked it. I think it ties everything up very well. I don't feel as if any of the deaths in that chapter are rushed and even Matt's death, which is kind of unceremonious, is still impactful. So I really liked it. I thought it was a good ending. I don't think he quite suffered from bad endings at this point. Yeah, I, in general, I, I definitely enjoyed it. And as much as I enjoyed the visual, like how Barlow died and the visualization of that, I do agree that it felt very anticlimactic. It was like all this lead up, lead up, lead up, like tri- being two steps ahead of you, tricking you, writing a giant letter. And then it just happens. He's yeah. like, there's no like little fight or there's no like, you know, it just happens. Yeah. What about you, Paige? Yeah, I mean, they talked about how his little minions all sawed off the stairs, right? Mm-hmm. So at one point, they were all down there, but they weren't down there now? Like, why not? Why not have your little vampire army with you, protecting you? They were down you? there. I don't know. They were all, they, I, they they were they all didn't just come out until later. Yeah. Well, because they oh. were trying to beat the sun down to kill him. So they were. Mm-hmm. I would just assume they were all yeah. sleeping down there or staying out of the sunlight until it all went down. And then, because then, as soon as he kills Barlow, he turns around when Mark is scrambling up the, back up the stairs, and they're all surrounding him. So, mm-hmm. I just don't know why they didn't like 
wake up sooner? Like, do they lose their hearing? <laughs> they didn't hear these people come down? Like, I don't know. I just felt like more could have been done. Like yeah. you guys said, I wanted a fight yeah. scene. There's a lot of that where I noticed that, like, when they're going around the town, trying to pinpoint yeah. where all the vampires are and finding their hiding places um, so they can go back and kill them later. Where I'm like, why are, like, is this, like, they, not just that they can't be out during the day so that they sleep during the day, but, like, they can't wake up during the day? Mm. Like, they're just, like, dragging, like, they drag, um, is it the McDougal guy? Yeah. Out mm-hmm. into the sun, and he, like, fries for a little bit, crawls back under, and goes back to sleep. Yeah. Like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I just assume that it's. He writes these vampires as they're just lethargic, no energy mm-hmm. until it's nighttime. So for me, mm, okay. that part of the ending was okay. It's just everything else with... I don't feel like his Barlow's death was rushed, but I just didn't like the way in which he was killed. I wanted the big thing. I wanted the, the big show at the end. Them mm. fighting on a cliff and dangling over, you know, whatnot. <laughs> Uh, anything else about the ending? Or I think I didn't like how I knew Ben wasn't going to die. Oh, yeah, because mm. of the uh, prologue. He was like, he'll remember that for the rest of his life. Well, I didn't, I honestly, I did not make the connection that those two people in Mexico were them until like way after. Oh. I was like, oh, yeah, that was a thing. Um, but no, it, it said like a little bit before that, like, oh, yeah, and that would linger with him the rest mm-hmm. of his life. And I was like, oh, cool. He has the rest of his life. Thanks. So, like, I wasn't, there was no suspense. Yeah. Kyle? So, I know consuming a lot of vampire-type stuff in my day, um, most, a lot of vampires are depicted as, during the day, like Brady said, lethargic, and it's almost like um, a supernatural kind of thing, where, I don't want to say they're in a trance, but it's like, they spend so much energy at night that they really need to regain that by sleeping during the day. It's not like Mm -hmm. a human where we go, like, oh, going to sleep and then like you know our dog barks and we're like ah shut the fuck up like they just like they're they're almost like in a coma during the day yeah um, but this ending to me is very typical of any vampire kind of bullshit um the last vampire gets staked and the people win and it's usually not that exciting again mm-hmm. going back to lost boys um most dracula movies they just get staked and in the coffin and yep that's it it, there's nothing special about it to me and yeah i mean um have you guys seen midnight mass no i've been meaning to yeah love it i've heard such good things i'm gonna keep my mouth shut so um well you can give like a no i cannot (laughs) oh (laughs) i mean i'll say something about it like you know Salem's Lot has been made into a couple of different adaptations, but it also has a huge impact on a lot of younger horror directors that are coming up. Um, I mean, Brian Fuller of Hannibal, the series, you know, he just went on a podcast recently and talked about his experiences with small town life and how Salem's Lot was a big influence on him. And, you know, he, especially coming from the perspective of a gay filmmaker, mm-hmm. he talked about how, you know, most of the townspeople assumed that, Straker and Barlow were these two gay guys and then tried to ostracize them because of that. And in the absence of, you know, all the facts that they could have gotten, they just made up these things about them. And the same thing with Ben as an outsider, when he's talking to Matt, he's like, if we go and tell these people about 
vampires are going to think you're an old loony who's like gay with me. And so <laughs> it's just, it seems like, you know, Stephen, I, I don't think Stephen King was writing from a homophobic view, but I think he was mm-hmm. showing how these tight knit communities can be very um, exclusive and ex- exclusionary of people who aren't the same as them. Um, but going back to Midnight Mass, you know, Mike Flanagan is, I think, a superb director. He did Haunting of Hill House. He did Bly Manor. He did Dr. Sleep. Uh, he's done a couple of things that I'm not a huge fan of, but he did Midnight Mass. And I mean, even without reading any interviews he did, like you could definitely tell the Salem's Lot vibes that were riddled throughout that. All right. That's really interesting because I'm really glad you brought up The Haunting of Hill House because that is one of the things that I think is so interesting about like it, this is book two and there's already like he mentions The Haunting of Hill House in Salem's Lot, the book. And I read the book yeah. recently this year. And um, I also noticed that there was a I think I'm just throwing it out there a little reference to the haunting of Hill House in Carrie as well with the stones falling on the house is something that happens in the haunting of Hill House mm. yeah so I true. yeah so I love that Salem's Didn't Lot think about is that. you know inspiring people making adaptions of the haunting of Hill House while the haunting of Hill House inspired King as well yeah, yeah I I think that some of the stuff from this is rehashed in Midnight Mass. That's all I'll say. Um, I do like the ambiguity of the end because they never say, yeah, the vampires are fucked. They're all going to die. Um, you're kind of just like, well, they burned down the town and they walked away and that's it. Yeah. You know? I know. I mean, I don't want to spoil anything, but I've already said it. I know that like later on in Stephen King's works, Pet Cemetery specifically, they mentioned Salem's Lot. And so to me, that always meant that they didn't mention anything really about Salem's Lot, except that it was like an old, an older town that always looked abandoned. And so to me, that always stood out like, oh, like these vampires are still just living there, doing what they do, staying under the radar. But yeah. Um, what do we think about the... Well, first of all, has, has anybody here seen the Toby Hooper no. TV miniseries, Salem's Lot? Unfortunately. Whoa, all right. Fighting words. Paige, you watched some of it today. Um, Kyle, what did you think of it? Did you think it stuck true to the book? Did you like it? Um, it did stick true to the book in some ways, but I think uh, it's pretty boring overall. I get it. It's a TV movie. It can't be as crazy as it wants to be. Um, they do combine some characters, which I usually don't mind for adaptations, especially one with this many characters. Uh, I thought that the only good part about it, though, to be completely honest, is Barlow's imagery, as mm. much as it kind of differs from the book. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I love that imagery. I actually got it tattooed on me. Yeah. So it's one of my favorite, I think, creepy vampire images. It, yeah. When I think Stephen King, most of the time I think of the images of the blue Barlow from the Salem's Lot miniseries Rising. And I think a cool thing about it is, you know, in the book his appearance in the miniseries is so different than the book, but I think it's because the director knew that your reading audience is not your viewing audience. And so you can't just have this terrifying vampire who looks like a normal guy, especially not back in the seventies where everybody was thinking, you know, Nosferatu, Christopher Mm -hmm. Lee, Bela Lugosi, all the classics. So I 
I, I liked it. Go ahead. I don't. I feel like Mark was older in the series too than he was in the book. Um, I didn't like that, and I feel like they really fucked up Straker's like character. I feel like he's so different and not smooth, hmm. and I, <laughs> I ain't nobody finding that guy sexually attractive. Uh, it's yeah. Paige had some thoughts about him too. <laughs> oh, did she? <laughs> He just seemed so nervous and like, why are you nervous, bro? Also, <laughs> he didn't have six inch long fingers. Yeah, yeah. he did he seem even more, tall. I there was know. no confidence yeah. about him. He was always looking at the house the same way that I that Ben was looking at the house, like terrified of it. And that's that's not what his character was. Um, that being said, I love it. Uh, I watch, sometimes just put it on as comfort food and just watch parts of it. It's long, so it's, it's. I almost never watch it all the way through. Uh, and then there was a 2004 remake of it with Rob Lowe as Ben Mears and Donald Sutherland as Straker, which I think Donald Sutherland played a really good, suave Straker that was able to kind of finesse his way into this community. And then Rutger Hauer is just a terrifying dude in general. And he played Barlow, and they really give Barlow that more, the more human uh, appearance. And then he's just a smooth talker that people get entranced by, and then he turns them. So, yeah, I didn't like that about the miniseries too. That uh, Barlow didn't talk at all. He couldn't yeah. talk. It was really weird because it's like, how did he get into this position of power when <laughs> he just does a whole lot of and yeah. shit like that, mm -hmm. you know? Which is great vampire stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's good to... looks like a vampire. sounds like a vampire, but... So, they're remaking Salem's Lot. Started filming this year in Boston. And they already had a couple characters... I wish. Um, they already had a couple people cast. Have you guys seen the castings? No. All right. I didn't even know it was a thing. So, as a way to end this, I think we should go around and talk about who we would want to play the main cast. So who would oh, you have played? I can't play... look it up right now. No. <laughs> okay. Who would you have played Ben? Oh my God. Kenneth. So the thing is, you guys know so many more actors because you do all your little epic film guys and... It could just be any actor. I don't actor. know absolutely anything. Oh so my this God. Funny. Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Ben Mears. There you go. <laughs> he doesn't it. have enough hair. <laughs> can you imagine him with a wig? No, he's Straker. Yeah, I was going to say, fine, Straker. <laughs> No, he's Weasel. Oh, no. <laughs> I think oh for Ben, I would want somebody like Jake Gyllenhaal, who was originally attached to the role. I think but that'd be good. I think, I think he's definitely got See that? the brooding down. I think he can play that role of being injured. We all saw him do it to Taylor Swift. I know. Okay. I was about you to be like, what? fuck Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> I'm ready to fuck that guy up. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and uh, and he's the right age. I think he'd be good. Um, what about you guys? Yay, nay. Want I think somebody else. Yeah. I feel like my first thought was like, um, and I kind of hate it because he's like in everything now, and so I hate him. Well, I also hate him for so many other reasons. But like Chris Pratt would be mm. kind of an okay-ish. Like just appearance wise, I feel yeah. like appearance wise, I... yeah. I think he would yeah. do that like the try to do the gimmicky stuff a little too much and it's like too funny. Yeah. yeah, I think I associate him with funny things. Like that was the issue with Jurassic mm -hmm. World. I mean that wasn't the yeah, only yeah. issue with Jurassic World, but 
I didn't like his character in it. Um, oh, yeah. All right. What oh, about Bryce Susan? Dallas Howard should be in it somewhere because I love her. Would you have her as Susan? I don't. I imagine Susan is much younger than she is now. The girl in that show about chess. Yes, oh, uh, I like her. Anya Taylor Joy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. She'd be good because I think she could play really young looking. I think you know yeah. what I mean. I think she'd be good for that one. Yeah, she'd be good. You agree, Kyle? I think she'd be good. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know who else I would pick. Emma Watson. I don't know. I, I think like Emma Watson's very... a little too old for that, though. Is she old? Don't no. you? Okay. She's not Brady. Old. That's it, dude. <laughs> Look, I will come through this computer screen. I love Emma Watson, but I just think that, like I'm you said, like, Paige, you said that. <laughs> Sorry, bitch. Um. All right. What about Matt? Who would play the old teacher? Brian How Cranston. Old do you think he is? Oh, he's got it. He's close to retirement. They said 50s, 60s. I saw somebody the other day say, like, mention Brian Cranston would be good for it, and I thought that'd be good because I do like Brian Cranston. Because he would offer a little bit of levity here and there. Um, I'm thinking like a, he's old now, so I'm thinking a younger Richard Dreyfus. Well, that'd be good. Yeah, I could see Richard Dreyfus. Hmm. What about um, a younger Tom Atkins? Ooh, a younger Tom Atkins. I could see Tom Hanks playing playing Matt Burke. <laughs> he just I mean he did Mr. Rogers fine. Alright, what about Jimmy Cody? Who would play the young doctor? I feel like Tom Hanks would be better as that. I, w- I think you're thinking Colin Hanks. That's his son. Oh. <laughs> well, I meant younger Tom Hanks. Oh yeah. Are we talking about uh, who would play him right now? Because that I that's the goal. Yeah, We're us, not man. getting yeah. there, but that's the goal. You just sprung this on us, Brady. I'm sorry. I, didn't have time to prepare. I just sprung it on myself, too. I could just edit this out if we don't oh, like it. No, nah, yeah. keep it. Um, Who would play Mark? What little I don't kid know a lot of little kid actors. I just think of the Stranger Kid thing, like the Stranger Things kids, but they're... The Stranger Kid <laughs> Yeah, but they're all... <laughs> Those damn Stranger Kid things. <laughs> they're all older than, like... Yeah, they're, they don't they're like 18, 20. Like, it's yeah. that one kid who plays Finn is like off doing like coke and pop punk bands and stuff. I don't know. What plays Finn? He is Finn. Allegedly. Oh, yeah, he is Finn. Allegedly. <laughs> uh, well, he's playing Finn, all right. Um, yeah, it's, it's the same thing they did with like it part one and two. Like, they had to de age mm-hmm. the kids, and I don't want them to de age somebody for this. Um, mm-hmm. There's that kid who played, did you guys see Dr. Sleep? No. Uh, I forget his name, Jacob, Jacob something, but he played a younger kid in that story, and I thought he did a really good job, and he'd probably be about the same age. Yeah, I don't know who's, like, a young up-and-coming actor. Yeah, I don't days. know a lot of them. I know them we, from we This can Is cast Us. an unknown, start yeah. a new career. Yeah, there we go. Um, Get the kid who played Georgie to play uh, Ralphie Glick. Oh, that could be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That kid could definitely look creepy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, does anybody want to add anything else to this episode? Final thoughts? Would you recommend it? Yes or no? Should we give what it a grade you... like we did last time? Yeah. yeah. What was the grade we gave? Um, for Carrie or for? Just like what was the grading scale? Was it an A plus? B+? Oh yeah, we were doing like regular yeah. school grades. Okay. All right. Okay. So, who wants to go first? Anyone feel strongly? Uh, I'll give it a C. Very mediocre. Mm. Oh, wow. Sorry if that hurts anyone's feelings. It's Sleep. just a typical like vampire like story. 
there's nothing that sticks out. I don't regret reading it, and I would say, like, yeah, if you like Stephen King, read it, but I just, mm-hmm. there's not a lot that's special about it. So you probably wouldn't read it again? No. I he, I feel like it's bloated in spots, mm. and I just don't understand why. I, I don't know why he writes like that. That's all. Yeah. All right, mm-hmm. Kenneth, what about you? I feel like I'd give it, like, a solid B for effort. Um, I feel like it checks all the right boxes, but I'd be okay not ever reading it again, you know? Okay. All right. Paige? I think I'm along the same road, like a B minus. Mm-hmm. I'll go in between you guys. Because, like, it was good, but there were also parts where I was like, Jesus Christ, I wish this would end. So, overall, I really liked the story. Uh, this I don't, I don't read. I think I've, cover to cover, I've maybe read, like, five books in my life. I just, it's not for me. So this is a whole new thing for me. So as my first, I don't know, like spooky, scary story, it was pretty good. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, you know, like I said, this is probably one of my favorite Stephen King books, if not my favorite. And I got to give it an A+. I think that the things that I maybe didn't like on my first time around have really changed and like I said, the beginning I used to think was way too long and had too much character information. I think it's perfect now. I I think Acts 1, 2, and 3 all flow smoothly together. The characters aren't rushed or forced. And even though I don't necessarily... I would have liked a different ending death for Barlow, I was still happy with it, and it, I didn't feel cheated out of it. Um, and this is actually one of the books that if anybody asks me you know, where to start with Stephen King, I usually say... Salem's Lot. So I really, really adore this book and would love nothing more than to just read it once a year. So, yeah. All right. But yeah, well, thank you, Kyle, for coming on here. And you want to tell everybody where we can find you at? At Kyle Bunnies on Instagram. Uh, you can find my Twitter, but I don't tweet. Every once in a while, I tweet that I remember I have a Twitter. Um, you can find me at Vintage Horror Podcast with Brady whenever you want to do that. And uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I hope you have me back next time because I have read The Shining. Spoiler alert to uh, everyone that's next, Ooh. I would assume. But. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming on. And, and we also just wanted to take a second and thank everybody who's been so great and supportive and listened to our first episode on Carrie and reached out mm-hmm. with support feedback we love it you know you can message the hail to the king podcast uh instagram you can message any one of us directly too um you know there's a a a function on anchor that you can leave a voice message if you ever wanted to pop up in one of these episodes where you're you know telling us we suck or telling us we're doing a good job or telling us something you liked or if maybe even you could stick a stake through someone's heart so again just Mm -hmm. really appreciate everybody's support and with that We will see you next month for The Shining. So excited. I have never read, so I'm excited for that one. We bought it today. Ooh. (laughs) All right. Take care.